0: Hello, and welcome to season three of the E3 podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to the podcast this week. I'm really excited to have Seth Manser on, and he is going to tell us a little bit more or talk a little bit more about sustainable communities, energy, where does it come from, renewable sources, all that great stuff. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Seth. Tell us who you are and uh, where you're located and what you do.
1: Outstanding. Many thanks, Emily, for having me on the podcast. Lots of great topics that you've already covered and looking forward to seeing how I can plug in where we're valuable. So for those that haven't uh, heard of me, I'm Seth Manser. grew up on the Vermont border in a small town called Coleraine and really been living sustainability much of my life. Grew up gardening, really you know, active lifestyle for my mom, 29-year YMCA veteran, and just love all things active, community, and healthy. And as I got into the Thinking about where I want to take my career, I I found, landed on the word sustainable. I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! How can we apply sustainability to fill in the blank?" I've been in the engineering space, I've been in uh, international development and aid, and in a few different areas. I've decided that the, the the energy space is is both the area that is there's a lot of opportunity out there as opportunity because there's a lot of lack of information um, and just kind of accessibility of how the heck we actually go about managing how we use energy. Um, and a little more background, while I was in the Marine Corps Reserve, I ha- decided to study at UMass Amherst and I created my major. I called it Sustainable Development and Experiential Education deep passion around construction with my father, who is a now 40 plus year construction foreman, veteran. He's done all sorts of projects from small renovations to large residential and commercial uh, buildings. And wanted to kind of plug into this 21st century perspective of, of, uh, of building, high performance buildings, and then how that relates to how we all live together in community. And that took me on a really interesting path, studying through an organization called Living Roots based in Amherst. They're no longer open, but I had the opportunity to study at Finhorn Ecovillage in Scotland, a sustainable community on the North coast. And boy, they're doing a lot of really cool things. And really it was an amazing test case for how all these facets of local food, local energy, different types of consensus and community-based decision-making can all kind of make things things hum in a really cool way. And since then, it's been really fun working with um, clients, residential, commercial, bringing in some of those threads that are useful and kind of helping connect the dots for how do we get towards a a sustainable world? Generally speaking, the way I look at that is it's a world we want to live in now and we are really excited to hand off to our kids and grandkids and they have an even healthier more abundant place to live um, in addition to all the other living creatures in the world that would appreciate a little bit more uh, you know healthy healthy environment on their end uh, so Emily love to hear uh, you know where we want to uh, kind of take the conversation to uh, for the next chapter here
0: yeah. So um, I love the concept of sustainable communities. So that's been a focus of my practice, you know, from, from everything from doing, uh, you know, one building through doing developments and communities and building this. Um, and I loved what you said there. We've been working on a five lot A solar community in Cumberland that has access to walking trails, a lot of like-minded individuals. One of the uh, individual homeowners is a landscape architect. She worked with us to plan how these houses actually interact with the land and the landscape. The particular piece of land that was bought by the builder developer who lives in one of the houses was really inhumanely harvested. So she felt like we've got to do better. You know, we've got to build these carbon storing uh, homes here to kind of give back to the land that wasn't really cared for all that well. Um, One of the homeowners is a nutrition expert and, you know, has been working with people on understanding like what we eat and where that comes from and how that all works. And her, other aside with that is, uh, a physical fitness and moving our bodies. And there's hiking trails that are part of this, uh, the community and there's a yurt, you know, and so people get together and they hang out at the yurt. Um, the, the builder actually lived in the yurt twice when we were building the first house and when we were building the third house, <laughs> lived in the yurt with our kids, um, you know, for a season, it's just like, you know, when you live in a yurt, you don't have access to all these other things. Like, what do we really need and how are we using it? And, um, My background is uh, as a energy performance architect, right? So we would do energy models of the whole structure. We would figure out what it would use. They're all electric houses. Um, How could we reduce that? How can we make it possible that a couple of solar panels on the roof is gonna run this whole structure, right? Like that we don't really need more than what we can produce on site obviously they're still grid tied. There's a lot in the market. I'm hoping you're going to talk a little bit more about technology and everything, but, you know, uh, battery backup and solar and Maine being a heating dominated climate and needing heat at night when the sun is not out and all that good stuff. Um, But essentially just really connecting the people with, you know, the sunlight and the nature, right? The houses are oriented to the South. This is a development with five five lots in it but they're not all just oriented to the street they're all oriented to the south you know we really programmed the windows so that you would live as the sun lives through the space and then um last week on the bs and Peer show we talked about lighting and it was so interesting to hear uh david talk about multi-level lighting and not just that you can turn on more lights to see the task at hand, but that associating the lighting with our circadian rhythm and where it happens in the space and when it turns on and how bright it is and warm dim. And so I am absolutely fascinated with the the energy. So um, I think to start, I'd love for you to touch a little bit more on sustainable communities and what that means from your perspective of what you're working on and doing. Like, how are you convincing your clients to, to connect with their energy usage.
1: Absolutely. So overall, what I mentioned earlier is I found the energy space to be inaccessible. It's, it's something that we all, those of us that pay an electric bill, we're just kind of used to paying. And there's conservation mechanisms like turning off the lights um, that are great to reduce energy but in the end, if we're still using energy, we have it's important to know where it comes from, and just like managing having the right insurance levels for your house based on the risk you have, and you know ensuring that your tax planning—it's tax season—it's right, 2021—knowing uh, all those different ways and levers to make sure that you're checking in and you're managing managing that risk and that opportunity energy is just pretty darn complex. And it's, it's for, well, before I get into the wonk, taking your question on sustainable community, the way that the, the key book that got me really excited about sustainability, the title of the book is Cradle to Cradle by Willie McDonough. And that was, it was published back in 2002, I believe. And the premise of the book was that back in 2002, being intentional about the the products, how you make products, how you look at building performance. If you're intentional, it's actually cheaper, it's better for the environment, it's safer. So you have fewer OSHA potential violations. Oh, and by the way, because it's safer, you have fewer people calling out sick because frankly, they're not getting sick building syndrome going to work or living where they're living. And that just hit me over the head. Like, oh, wow. I thought green was a premium. And at the time, solar panels were still pretty darn expensive. Um, There's a lot of facets of getting into how we live and how the built environment then affects us. So it's not just a one-time decision like, "Mm, do I do I? spend an extra 5% on this low VOC product today. Well, it's, it's looking at it today and also the building quality for the next generation or generations. You go to England and how many buildings are older than the United States?
0: <laughs> well, so, and I want to interrupt you right there and talk about the building quality, right? Is that we have been really related to the what is the dollar cost of this thing right now. And you mentioned something that I just want to highlight again, which is that dollar cost might have an association with, you know, how sick are you? How many days of work have you missed? How, you know, how many times have you had to go to the doctor? And those are things we haven't factored into, you know, that low VOC paint may have cost an extra 5% you know, here in the upfront, but it's having huge dividends on the lifestyle, your life, your kid's life, your parents' life, wh- whomever is in the space, the next, you know, whatever. And so if you, if, if our immediate thing is to only think about our current environment is, you know, it's not always clear that this thing that you did has this major effect. So anyway, I just wanted to highlight when you said that, because it's really important for people to remember. So anyway, awesome. I interrupted
1: you. No, no, that was great. Re- really appreciate, yeah, d- digging down on that. And so, so that's really how I approach the sustainability conversation. In that, there are, you know, today it's 2021, and depending on the state you are in, depending on the utility within the state, depending on the utility territory within the state that you live in, there are a wide array of opportunities. And so, like, so I'm here in Massachusetts, and there are towns on municipal light power, kind of like the DPW that manages the the roads and the plump and the sewer. And then you have other states that um, around New England and around the country that are just structured completely differently, how they. And so getting back to the sustainability conversation, it's, you know, the, the premise that I have is that as we all use energy, there are more higher quality and better ways that we can all use energy without installing a single thing. And then depending on who you are, residential, commercial, industrial, nonprofit, municipal, everybody has certain res- certain needs, uh, resource uh, constraints, and, um, and length of time they're planning for that particular structure. So, as nobody is, nobody is identical in that where, where I, where I look at it is if everybody takes a, you know, takes an annual energy assessment and where are you at today? Where can you improve on energy? And, and oftentimes people think about energy of like, Oh, I have to use that light bulb that makes me squint because it's kind of low, it's, you know, it's really low wattage or I, I don't wanna live in a cold house, it's New England. Okay, gotcha. There are, there are a whole host of, of ways that you can balance your energy and then also fit into the wider grid and know that on certain days of the year, particularly in August here in New England, we have really congested uh, grid, um, grid lines where you can curtail or cut your energy use for a 30, 60, 90 minute stretch, that can have a lasting impact on the commercial side for over a year, where one 15 minute interval of energy use can represent 20 to 40% of your electric bill for the next year. It's all these rate structures in the utility side that are just really complex. And it's a little bit of a Frankenstein system that we have where you have some buildings with seven electric meters Two are not really used. One is split between three different tenants because partitions have been changed. And you have someone demand meters, some not, some smart meters. And you're like, oh, at the end of the month, I pay $1,000. Or one of my largest clients, $473,000 a month in electricity. It's a lot of money. And whether you pay $50 a month residential or you pay close to a half million dollars a month, there are measures one can take to improve the quality of life in that space and reduce costs, which all, all of these decisions combined helps improve the way we use energy as a, as a region, as a country, uh, moving to more renewable resources, more local generation. Um, you no, know, that was one of the, the, the topics that we talked about just before we got going, Emily, was thinking about energy, kind of like the local food movement. And um, so on that, love to hear kind of Eddie, from your perspective, what are the listeners like, what is, what are you hearing that are, you know, the listeners are really interested in when it comes to energy and some, some quite off common questions you've heard?
0: Um, So it really depends. Um, As I mentioned to you before, here in the state of Maine, a couple of years ago, the governor was really trying to shut down the whole solar thing. Like it was going to cost you money to put solar on your roof, which feels backwards to us, right? So, uh, you know, we're locally producing energy that we can't access or use because the battery technology isn't there. So recently, we've been hearing a lot more about battery technology. Um, That's one of the energy usage conversations that we have because we, you know, you grew up in Vermont in small towns. So I'm sure you're used to this too, is we lose power, right? And people want to have a way to, to do their power, but we're building all electric houses. And so, you know, a battery backup system for your solar system does not have the power that you need to, to run that, right? So then you're talking about energy usage of the different things in your house. Like what can we run as an emergency circuit? So so we've been talking a lot about that battery backup with the solar systems. A lot of my clients um, don't question the solar. In fact, they're really bummed if for some reason at the end, they can't do it. Um, so there's at least a little bit of access to community solar, which is good. Um, I am a huge proponent of just reducing energy everywhere that we can anyway. So, you know, everything's going to, like, I want you to be able to run it with the solar that's on your roof and not have an issue, right? And we have a limited amount of roof space. So we will run out of the amount of panels that we can put on it. And not that that's what we should do anyway, right? Because if you have an unlimited amount of roof space, you could just put more panels on. That's not really the answer, but... (laughs) um i i like to to build small people think they need a lot of square footage but they don't realize is that they need square footage that they can use right they need to be usable square footage is just a number that the tax department uses to send you your taxes that's really all it is because i don't know i i've worked with so many clients over the years who can't read a 2d drawing so if you can't read a 2d square footage footprint then are you translating that into the actual Footprint space. So if you're like, how about let's talk about your couch, how you're going to use it, how it fits in the space, your dining room table fit in here, and I'll tell you how much square footage you have at the end. Um, so it's kind of this weird way that people have now anne- uh, have done it, but we will reduce everything that we can to get that energy number down, right? So that's what we're mm-hmm. attempting to do is figure out how we can conserve as much. You know, like you said, the people turn the lights on or whatever, um, but. Not to a point that people can't live in the spaces, right? So you know we have multi-level lighting, we have all LEDs. You know, I just say if you're building a brand new house. There isn't any reason why you can't put in LED fixtures. <laughs> so, and we're reducing the air infiltration in a brand new house because having to reheat that air with electricity or really any way that you're doing it is just using energy right so Mm -hmm. our buildings are energy hogs we need to try to reduce that as much as we can those are the conversations that we have a lot most of my clients are are moving into you know we're you know really a much smaller house downsizing you know Really concerned about everything across the board as far as usage goes. So, um, and then that they haven't either been able to figure out if they live in an existing house or they're doing a renovation, they don't have the right roof structure to to put solar on the roof, or there's, uh, and this is really terrible, but there are communities and neighborhoods who have banned solar from rooms, right? Because it doesn't fit in the aesthetic. Um, is that we don't know where our energy comes from and the power company doesn't make it super easy for you to figure out a, where mm-hmm. it comes from or how to ask or request for more renewable sources. Because, you know, just like you said uh, earlier, uh, if you if you evaluated it, if the one thing you did this year to change was just consider asking for power purchased from a different renewable resource, we would be moving in the right direction, right? So. Um, absolutely. So before we started, you talked a little bit about that and you, you highlighted it on, um, you know, peak power, where electricity comes from. And so if you want to expand more on the crackling and distribution losses.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So real quick, just wanted to um, really highlight what you shared. So the cheapest electron, the cheapest kilowatt hour is the one you don't need, the one you don't use. So starting there, 100% love all the work you do and the value you provide to clients and, and all the listeners, you know, just, just thinking about that. And that's kind of the, been the mantra of energy efficiency where we're at right now, 2021, we have a convergence of a number of very interesting things, uh, right? You have a complex energy grid. That's really complex. Um, and then you have, you um, a host of, of solutions that particularly since about 2005 have been increasing in, in quantity and decreasing in cost. Solar, energy storage, micro wind turbine, all sorts of stuff. Um, and then you're also, just in last year, a huge uptick in EV charging and electric vehicles. So you have the, the convergence of transportation, existing building energy use, then you have all the other energy use measured in therms, uh, measured in BTUs, measured in cubic feet, natural gas, wood, oil, and, and thinking about it, what's my energy footprint? And then how can I be better about that? And so, so I- exactly what you said a moment ago, just having that, you know, encouraging listeners to, t- you know, if they've already taken the first step, take the next, take the seventh, take the tenth. And if you haven't done an energy analysis in the last year, there's a whole lot of resources available no matter what state you're in, residential, non-residential, commercial um, that you can take. Um, and so some of the programs are as simple as um, signing up. So one, one organization that um, you know, we've worked with it's, it's called Arcadia Power and they they can connect you with uh, a solar facility or wind turbine, somewhere generally close to you. And what it looks like to a green-minded person in North Dakota is they might be signing it for a wind turbine in Iowa. Is that really local energy? No, but they can track your usage and they've bought in 0.01% of that production of that wind turbine. It's on the path. It's moving forward as there are solutions more local. So, Maine has gone gangbusters lately with community solar. There are solar fields going to be developed um, over the next couple of few years, getting tied in directly with a local community solar farm. Hey, that's better than Iowa, but it's still not on your property, but it's something that you can do. And why not save five, 10% on your electric bill? Why not? Um, and, so one of the things you brought up a couple minutes ago also was the, the diurnal swing, the night-day swing between when solar is available and when we use energy. And the way that I look, I think about this is if you if you've ever been plugged into an EKG, an echocardiogram, or you've seen it on uh, on the show ER, right? You, you had that super zigzaggy line and all of a sudden. You can look at somebody and you're like, oh, that person looks healthy. You put the sensors on and you're like, whoa, there's a heart murmur. Wouldn't have known the heart murmur without the diagnostic test. Same with energy where some people don't know that that dehumidifier in their basement that kicks on at 2 a.m. Is, or at noon when it's peak power pricing. like, Well, let's not turn the dehumidifier on at all during the day or Definitely not between noon and two when there's a time of use charge that's 10 times the cost of energy at 10 a.m. And these little kind of micro changes that, um, you know, full disclosure, I don't make any money on, on the services that I'm sharing with you on, on here. So there's, there's uh, products like Sense and Nurio um, that you can plug into your electric panel and get a, uh, an EKG-like diagnostic of your energy use in your house and you can learn about what the various appliances in your house actually use it's a great for a retrofit which we have millions of buildings out here already uh and f- if we could hit hit the reset and have every building designed through emily from the start of the founding <laughs> that would be fantastic we- yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you,
0: th- I, that would be great right and, and it's definitely the 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 movement like you know, we should not do better. We should, we should, um, we should do better things, not just, uh, not just try to do better at things, but we should just do better things. Um, but I love the that you brought up the electrical monitor, right? Too, because this is a thing that we've also been talking about in the air quality spectrum. Is now you're starting to see all of these. Uh, devices pop up so people can measure the air quality of their spaces. Cause Hey, for the last year, we've done nothing but stay at home. And we're now intensely understanding our spaces a little bit more, right? Like before, maybe we didn't know, cause we were sleeping for eight hours at home that something going on in our home was making her sick. Now we're home all day long. And it's like, man, I feel like dirt every day. Mm. Right. So people are starting to do that, but I love the little electric, uh monitors and we've done this um I want to say it was like 10 years ago I mean not quite that long that we were studying the, the different ones that you could get and that you could have a little dashboard thing right that sat on your counter and you'd be like oh my gosh look at the electrical usage and I was teaching um building science classes and energy auditing classes and teaching people about this stuff and the programs that were available and um there was this video that came out and I, I haven't been able to find it. I, it has to exist somewhere on, on YouTube, but it was like phantom loads, right? And there was this guy and he was talking about vampire loads like everywhere in your house, right? And he's running around, he's been really silly about it, but it's true, like we've, we, we have all these things with all these indicator lights, right? So it's like, walk around your house with all the lights off tonight and just see how many things are lit up, right? And you bring up the point about you know peak electricity. Um, I don't know that we're seeing that in in Maine yet, but you know Massachusetts has uh, you know slightly different climate than us and a lot more people. Um, but 10 years ago, we were talking about peak electricity demands and masonry heaters, right? Where the power company could give you a lower rate on electricity at night when they weren't seeing these peak demands. And you could have a masonry heater that you could heat with electric. And then it was some kind of brick storage or masonry storage that then during higher peak demands would radiate the heat out into the space, right? Because, hey, like we're talking about heating in maine right we got a heat here and i was like that's a brilliant plan like why why haven't we 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 done that right so we can eliminate peak demands with some kind of creative idea
1: so real quick just a rift on what you're just sharing with with thermal so uh, on a small scale right you have you, you get there you know some nice thermal mass and warm it up at night and on a, on larger scale, uh, for properties that are you know generally larger, um, we can essentially remotely manage help manage the building to cool it down more than needed at night, or c- conversely heat it um, in the off hours when electricity or energy is cheaper and the grid is less congested. So this is installing unless if the building doesn't have um, you know, uh, an updated building management system, updated thermostats that are all synced that we can send a single signal through, then a couple of small widgets that would have to be installed. Beyond that, it's essentially either a subscription or a monthly fee to be part of this type of a demand service that looks at all these different angles of where are there opportunities to shave power per tail um, and use the building's thermal mass as a battery. Lithium ion batteries are great. Lithium iron phosphate are even better, Uh, but then they, they both cost a lot of money. Flow batteries are coming along, long duration. There's some cool stuff happening, but just starting with the building's thermal mass as a battery, just thinking about it like a passive greenhouse. I was at my dad's house the other day and he's got a bunch of water bottles and a bunch of right um, steel plates that are black that hold that energy, great specific heat capacity, and then it he doesn't have to worry about his greenhouse getting as cold as it would at night without those th- those elements buffering. You can do it on a micro scale at the you know greenhouse or or large greenhouse for that matter, um, and yeah, there's just just a different it's just a kind of a different lens of looking at energy. Instead of like, oh, energy is always going to come back to turning off the lights or going solar. It's a two-dimensional conversation. Let's get four-dimensional. Let's get 10-dimensional. Whatever kind of analogy makes sense. It's like, well, there's so many solutions out there. And and not all are applicable or appropriate for everybody. But there is something for everybody. And um, yeah, it's just like going to the doctor every year for a physical, you know? If you you don't go in every year, you might miss that early indicator of high cholesterol when you're young enough that, hey, just back off the bacon a little bit. (laughs) And we can do that with energy.
0: That is so true, is that oftentimes in energy terms, we just want to talk about like turning the lights off or, you know, putting in a solar panel to offset your needs. And, you know, this comes up in the net zero conversation all the time. Well, any house can be net zero with enough solar panels, really, because if the short definition of it is you produce as much energy as you use, you just produce more energy for the more energy that you use. But that's not really the point or the purpose of it, right? So, like we had talked about before. But I think it's really critical that what you said is that it can be something that we chip away at a little bit at a time and it just becomes an awareness thing, right? Like you said, having an audit done every year, you know, maybe the first one you have to pay somebody to come out and do so that you know what to look for or where to look for. And it's a whole systems approach to your building, right? when we do them for commercial, we're looking at everything from the indoor air quality of the spaces and ventilation rates and heating systems. You want to be cool. You want to be warm. You you want to be able to breathe, right? Everybody's been in that conference room where the CO2 is so high that you're like taking a nap at this conference because you can't stay awake because the air quality is that. But then we go through and we are looking at the lighting and the light levels. And we're looking at the usage of the, the buildings and the mechanical systems and it's like, Oh man, this pump on this heating system can't get all the way to the top floor you know it's just there's so many things to to look at and to evaluate and to chip away at a little bit at a time right nighttime cooling that applies to uh to residential structures too Uh, one of my passive house friends in new york built a passive house. And I was like, so what are the criteria of which you open your windows at night to passively cool your space so that it stays cool when you close the windows the next day? Right. Because it's a passive house. So if he cools it at night, it's going to stay cool for a lot of hours. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, you know, we went through the whole criteria, you know, certain humidity levels and temperature and whatever to do that. And they are simply a measure of, uh, checking, a device to see what you're going to have for weather patterns and then opening the windows. It doesn't cost him anything to do it, but Hey, the air conditioning doesn't run. And that is saving a ton of money. You know, I mean, probably not a ton of money because it's already a passive house. So the air conditioning doesn't run all that often anyway, but Mm. you know, the, the same, you know, reverse for people who have, who can't afford to build passive house, right? Because we're not all in that market. And so there are little things that we can do. I mean, in my office, so work from, let's talk about work from home, right? In my mm-hmm. office and work from home, I have a smart power strip, which means when I turn my computer off, it turns the printer off, it turns the monitor off, it turns off whatever else is on in my office. And it's, it was as smart as remembering to buy one and plug it in, right? And then as simple as just turning my computer off every day, or, you know, people have used them for their TVs and it turns off the TV and it turns off the Xbox and it turns off the, um, you know, the surround sound or whatever. I mean, those are, I mean, they're little things, but every little chunk of change can, you know, and if you, if you just don't think about it, it's really easy. Like 10 years or almost 12 years ago when I started my practice, everybody didn't have a smartphone and a computer and an iPad and a, you know, like look at all the things we're plugging in now. Right. I mean, go back to the houses that were built in the 1800s. And it's like, you're lucky if you had like one outlet in this room. Right. Now I got to have an outlet every four feet so that people can plug stuff in.
1: Absolutely. Or the, you know, the, the change where we've gone from, wiring houses with the, um, the the speaker wire and hardwire for internet. And now we've, we've gone remote to Wi-Fi. And some places, we're finding that because of all of the other signals and the printer and all these devices, that to have a good Zoom conversation, it's actually good to go back into a hardwired Ethernet cable. So it's interesting how some things get Unintended, intended, recycles. <laughs> and then the other side is like, well, we're just in a different place today than we were 10, 20, 40 years ago. But the reality is, is that most buildings haven't changed from how they were built. And now you have this Frankenstein mix of stuff, all these mechanicals and all this new stuff plugged in. And that wasn't factored in when the building was built and relative to what energy costs were then, generally cheap, versus now, where the current national rate, it's going up twice as high as inflation. You have elderly advocacy groups like AARP getting vocal and now pressuring legislators to say, we're not, it's not fair to rate base and put in a new substation a new transmission line, and make all these rate payers pay for it. What are the alternatives? The alternatives are what's called non-wires alternatives. It's all the stuff that we're talking about. It's using energy smarter. Generally, transmission wires are only used 10 to 40% of the time. And even when they are used, anybody that's gone for a jog under transmission line when it's raining, you hear that little sizzle. That is, those are kilowatt hours lost from transmission, aka wasted energy. There's all these things that make sense to go as local as possible, um, while being plugged into the grid, when appropriate, um, because the grid, it's now become a two-way street, where as there's time of use rates, as there's demand response, as there are all these increasingly, increasing opportunities from the utility, to be a, be, a, be a service to the grid that's monetized and valued, not in every market, but, um, but it's, it's increasing. And Rhode Island and Massachusetts, in particular, have aggressive demand response. As in, if you have a business and you can curtail or ramp down your, your usage just a bit, you could make some pretty significant dollars. That's not installing solar, that just a bunch of other stuff that can be done. Um, One of the things I realized when we were talking about the kind of day night swing, I didn't really get into this, is the energy export component. So let's say, you know, if you're a listener in a market that doesn't have net metering, net metering means you can just put solar energy into the grid and take it out the same exact value at night in December. Frankly, utilities don't like it, right? they they have to accept power when it's really sunny and then give you essentially that same value at night. Um, There's some increasing studies showing that there is uh, value to solar. So that's kind of a side topic. But when it comes to like, if your energy prices are say 17 cents or in the town of Princeton, Massachusetts, 28 to 30 cents a kilowatt hour, but no net metering, the conversation is goes back to what you and I were talking about a couple minutes ago is having an energy sensor, knowing what your energy footprint is. And then instead of installing a whole home battery or whole home generator, you might only need 10 or 20%. So batteries cost a lot of money, but I have a cell phone in my hand, that's got a battery. I have right all these little devices, have all these small batteries, they're lithium ion. And so you might not need a full Tesla power pack or you know, fill in the blank um, battery storage device, you might need something a fraction of that size. So now, you're, you're capturing some of that solar. And in the middle of the day, if you're producing more than you need, you can back up you, know, you can store a bit of it. Um, and then you know, generally speaking, we're looking at offsetting about half of somebody's electric usage if there's no net metering. Adding in storage, you might get to 55, 60, 65%. And so from uh, getting out of the weeds, thinking about it, uh, people understand the conversation between the volatility of stocks versus bonds. Stocks are, well, you could make a lot of money like GameStop, or you could lose your shirt. Whereas bonds, it's kind of a set in, forget it. It's kind of boring. You get your predictable returns. Where I, I look at energy is, how can we move as much of your energy footprint an energy portfolio to a predictable bond. Move it away from that volatile, risky, goes up, goes down, don't really have control over it. My lowest solar client was a 20% offset. At first, they're like, oh, I'm disappointed, Seth, it's such a small offset. When we did the electricity analysis, we should, because they run a home daycare, found that the two hours a day that they when the solar is going to be shining, we'll actually have a a utility bill offset of 47% because the value of energy is different at different times of the day. And this is some super wonk, some super getting nerded out where it's, it's, I can't do it without plugging your your bills into software. I'm I'm not that smart. (laughs) And and I don't blame any of the listeners for not having a granular detail analysis like that. This is why I hired an accountant to do my taxes. There's a lot of stuff out there and I don't want to mess it up. And I also mainly don't want to miss out on opportunity. I've done the, I've done the QuickBooks, no, not QuickBooks, the uh, TurboTax. And I thought it was a good deal. So I had an accountant review and they're like, oh, you lost $480 stuff, which was nowhere near the cost it would have been to just have them do my taxes. So <laughs> I look at that from that example, just I, my mantra is, you know, encouraging people to, you know, to pick up the phone. and do have an energy consultation on a regular basis. And just like my accountant, um, my accountant Jeff, you know, he loves it when I call him and, and he, he reaches out quarterly just to check in, see if anything's changed and if there's any, any wisdom that he can share mid-year to get me ready for the next tax season. And encouraging people, you know, uh, homeowners and businesses to take that same approach to energy, where depending on who I talk to, energy ranks as the, as the two, second to the fifth at cost for their structure. Uh, businesses generally labor is number one, sometimes taxes. Oh, by the way, depending on what you do with solar and energy, we got a whole bunch of tax credits that we can access for you. A little bit of a selfish plug, um, but then you know there's there's just a whole bunch of things that um, that you can do today to start chipping away at. It. And it might not make sense for you now to do the whole hog, full enchilada, sustainability, deep energy retrofit. Let's do steps one and two, and step one is take a look at your energy profile, and so you know, so you can better manage your risks and um, and have feel less predictable. Like you're going to know what your electric electric bill is next month and next year.
0: That's a term that we use a lot in building, but that we don't talk to much in. Uh, with our clients, I don't, I don't think, which is, is managing your risk, right? So when we talk managing your risk in your building, we're talking about durability of the structure, you know, callbacks, water management, all of those things. But when you're talking about managing your risk, then risk then on operational energy too, is what is the risk on operational energy, right? They, They don't know, right? Unless you have this, uh, evaluation done, um, so that somebody can help walk you through what you have and what Mm -hmm. you do. I mean, when you're building a brand new house or you're doing a deep energy retrofit, you can do that as part of the process. But so many people live in existing houses and they want to do some kind of renovation. They want to do some kind of work. Well, wouldn't it be great if the first thing you did was have an energy audit done, right? You learned about your energy usage and then you were able to, make some small changes that saved you a lot of money to get closer to deep energy retrofits, right? So everyone's looking for those low hanging fruit. And this is one that's really simple that I've been um, trying to get people to buy into for a long time, which is, um, you know, have an audit done, find out what you actually have, how, how many people know what they actually have, right? What they're using, where does the power come from? What, what, simple steps could they take um my favorite thing when we were doing electrical analysis was this 1970s freezer that you have to do is using like 50 percent of your power bill and they're like what i mean it's just and i'm like I know appliances don't last as long as they used to, which is super frustrating and completely different realm, right? Electronics and electronic parts and um, disposable society and uh, lots of other things we could talk about on that. But the amount of energy that some of these old appliances are using can be extremely detrimental to to someone. So like that hand-me-down fridge or that hand-me-down freezer some of them can pay for themselves in like the first year if you bought a new one. Sorry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and related to that, my friend, Tony, who does energy audits and finds people that when you take, when you swap out the batteries in your thermostat, you generally lose all your presets. So you might've had the weekend weekday thing dialed in and then somebody in the, best, you know, doing the best thing that they think is right. They change the batteries, but now that change in the batteries, which is, you know, 25 cents a Duracell, whatever, is now potentially costing you hundreds to thousands of dollars because you're not ramping your energy down to 60 degrees on the weekend. Related to that, filters. How often are you changing filters? I, I have seen so many HVAC units running at it's very substandard uh, efficiency. The filter is there to keep all the grit and particles off the coils. Once the grit gets on the coils, it's then, it's it's compromising the ability for um, for those mechanicals to work efficiently. So you can buy your, you can buy your, you know, your your brand new cooler, or sorry, freezer or refrigerator. It says it's at X percent, it's going to use this many kilowatt hours a year well, do you have a proper air circulation and filtration in your building? And are you replacing your HVAC unit filters? Because otherwise you're kind of lying to yourself of like, well, you're gonna, you're just, the facts are the facts and the energy audit will show you like, oh yeah, I'm using a whole lot more energy here and here and changing a filter, changing a thermostat setting as a first step. Um, And then one other thing that kind of relates to this uh, stair-step approach is is stacking benefits, and however much you how each of the different measures one takes is is kind of a stacking of benefits. So one plus one doesn't equal two; it's one plus one equals three. Add another measure, and then one plus one equals eight or nine. For all the math majors out there, you're probably cringing at my numbers. <laughs> but the reason I also bring this up is is the energy storage conversation is exciting, where it's not just about backup power. Yes, we like to have our power. When the grid goes down, we have a night storm. It doesn't happen too, too much, but it does happen. For critical electricity, use, such as a plastic injection molding manufacturer, they cannot be down for more than a millisecond. Otherwise, all that liquid plastic physically hardens. They have to jackhammer their assembly line for two days to get all this you know, plastic gunk out of their system. And so not surprisingly, just like hospitals, they have diesel or they have a generator backup system. Well, that backup is just one dimensional. Is that backup also able to receive some electricity grid power at night when it's cheaper and then run your facility during peak hours? Can you discharge power at peak hours when the utility has a demand response program? Is it conditioning your power so that all the sensitive electronics in your facility don't get zapped by slight voltage changes, and so there's lots of wonk. Kind of getting back out of the weeds is it's about um, yeah, it's about you know getting people just uh, comfortable with this a uh, it's a it's a increased complexity of energy where we've gone from predominantly wood stove heat a couple of years, a couple hundred years ago, to adding in coal, to adding in oil and natural gas, and there's an HVAC and geothermal, there's all sorts of complex ways that we use energy. And we're now making this shift where a bunch of manufacturer, auto manufacturers are just gonna be doing electric vehicles, 2030 and beyond, which is great, but it's a fundamental change in how we're using energy and staying ahead of the curve. Um, Charging your, charging your car in the middle of the day it, at peak pricing, ooh, that's tough. There's, you know, the Nissan Leaf is one of the few that is fit. You will not invalidate your, your car warranty by using the Nissan Leaf as a whole home battery backup if and when needed. Why buy a stationary battery when you, already, you, you bought a battery with four wheels and it gets you to where you're going? You might be able to actually charge it at one of those free chargers, you know, a courtesy of that nice company. You come home and all that bat, all that stored power, use that at peak, peak hours at your house, at your facility. So it's a fun, dynamic way to look at energy. It's it's not simple, but the simplest thing that you can do is you can you can call me, you can call Emily, you can call somebody local to you that just help you help you take that first step. And who knows exactly what your needs are, but I guarantee there's something you can do that will improve how you live in that, live in and work in that space. And particularly if you're responsible for that electric bill, I hope your ears are perked up to know there's so many things that you can reduce the risk to your organization. Um, So no, Emily, we're getting close on time and-
0: I was gonna say that was a perfect way to kind of feed out to the end and so one thing i want you to highlight here and i don't think that you mentioned is what's the name of your company and where are you located if people are listening on here i know you don't do as much residential um but certainly uh anybody who has commercial aspects uh, should should definitely reach out to you or that you might be connected with other people in your area that do residential if people want to connect to it so so what's your company and how can they find you
1: Absolutely. So really proud to work with RER Energy Group, a company based out of Pennsylvania, and we take a local labor approach where I'm based here in Sturbridge, Mass. And we have projects going in over 13 states, and we partner with local engineers, local labor. So really wherever you are um, on the non-residential side, we can definitely service you. One thing I didn't bring up is I've uh, for the Rhode Island Association of Realtors, put together a whole course series on residential solar. So though it's not my official role now, um, I've got some deep background. And if you have questions, please feel free to reach out and I can you know, get some initial questions answered, give you some guidance in terms of what are some questions you should ask a vendor and also have, um, you know, there's a lot of great vendors out there just like any industry, any construction industry in particular, there are some bad apples and I can definitely, you know, Emily and I, we can definitely steer you towards the reputable quality contractors. Um, so you can find me, you know, generally I'm most active on LinkedIn. You know, Type in Seth Manser. We'll put this in the show notes. And then, um, you know, our RER's website, RERenergygroup.com. And we you know, be a privilege to have it, have a discovery call and see how we might be able to help. And if we can't, um, yeah, there's that, that is not a problem. I I I just love having that discovery call to see if and where it makes sense. And it might not be now. It might might be never. Uh, but let's uh, let's get let's get to work.
0: Thank you, Seth, so much for joining us on the show today. Um, I really appreciate everything that you brought to it. And I love to talk bigger picture, you know, even from the outside of of our homes, um, what we can do, how we can think and how the things that we are doing in our homes are affecting larger scale systems like the energy grid, how we're making energy and where it comes from. So I really appreciate having you on today um, and thank you for your time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for tuning
0: in for season three of the podcast. If you want more information on the guests, check out the show notes. If you want to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, reach out, Emily, at arch.com You can find me on Instagram, MottramARCH, or on LinkedIn, Emily Matram, And you can find me on Thursday nights at the BS and Beer Show. So come join us live one week. Until then, stay nerdy.